As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. James, good uh, good middle of November to you. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? How was your weekend? Uh, it was interesting. Obviously, those two games, uh, Friday and Saturday, were pretty emotional. I think that's where we're going to start the pod today. I want to talk, obviously, about what's going on with the Leafs. We'll talk about Matthews, Marner. We'll talk about the D. We'll talk about the goaltending. But uh, we have to start with the, I think, do you want to start with the, the Hall of Fame ceremony or, or psalming in the ceremony on Saturday? I think psalming is a good place to start. Okay. Uh, it was obviously... Uh, very touching, very emotional. Uh, what was your takeaway from watching that uh, live? So you saw it in person and I saw it on TV. I thought the ceremony was incredibly well done. And I think it's it's worth saying that, you know, the Leafs over the last, we've been around the team for, you know, 14, 15 plus years. And I think one thing that they've been able to nail a lot better in recent years is is honoring their past and honoring players like that. And obviously, unique and really tragic circumstances with Oria Salming, but it was it was really, really emotional and, and poignant and you could really that really came through on, on television. So, you know, it's it's really nice that they were able to to have that moment for him. And uh you know, it's just it's such a such a sad thing. I mean, I remember in, in previous years when like Boria Salming's been there for so many ceremonies like that like it, it felt like he would almost come through every year around hall of fame time right like i mean we've seen him there at center ice waving to the crowd so many times and he's always been he's always one of those guys where you like google his age because it's like how old is this guy because he looks amazing he always looks like he's just in incredible shape 
uh, you and I have talked to him a little bit. He seems just like a, a wonderful person, according to everyone that that uh, that knows him. And it's just such a such a sad thing to see um, the the state that the, the disease has him in right now. Yeah, yeah, it was very emotional just being in the building. Obviously, on Friday night uh, when he comes out for the Hall of Fame ceremony and he's he's being held up and supported by Sundin and Sittler and it's just like I like I was thinking like I don't know how you go and play after this like especially for the the people who know him um and even for the ones who don't like it's just a, a very emotional thing to see and you know like talking to some of the players after the the Saturday night game it was like Rasmus Sandin uh had gotten to know or has gotten to know him well and, and he just said like it was hard not to cry it was I don't know, like, it, 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 I think it, one thing Sheldon Keith brought up after the game on Saturday was that it allowed them to kind of talk to their players about Salming and his legacy and just how much he meant to the fans. And honestly, for me, it, it had some of that because, like, even conversations in the press box, like, just people who were around the team when he was playing for them and, and kind of saw him in person were just kind of able to explain to me like what he was like and like how good he was. And like, I knew, but I didn't know. And and honestly, something like that to me, I think that's why it's important to talk about history is like, you can have those conversations and, and obviously for the players to see what he meant to Toronto um, was obviously pretty special. Like you could see it, like sometimes, play, you know, people say things, but you can tell they're just saying things. It didn't feel like that after that game. Like you could feel the emotion that the players themselves felt from seeing all that, you know? You and I were having a conversation because you were you wrote a nice story about Salming after the Saturday game and you were like, How do I like sum up Warrior Salming? And you yeah. you were kind of just like double checking that you you had it right. And I was like, the best way to sum it up in as few words as possible is he's one of the best defensemen of all time. Like he you know, right now at the Athletic, we're doing uh, NHL '99, where we're ranking the best '99 players in in modern NHL history, and we're at what are we at today? Like number seventy three or seventy two or something like that. Like, like Salming hasn't come up yet. Like he, you know, he's yep he he is amazing. You know, and and if it wasn't for you know being up against you know like Larry Robinson and, and Brad Park and these guys were winning all the Norris trophies. If you look at, it, I think. I think the one stat I saw was that the first seven years Borea Salming was in the NHL, he was top five in Norris voting every single year. And even his rookie season when he's like 22 years old, he comes over from Sweden. I can't remember what he was like third or fourth or something in Norris trophy voting. And then it was, you know, every year through his prime, he was there and he, he was runner up to Larry Robinson twice. Um, and he just didn't have, the Leafs didn't have teams like Montreal did, right? Like he was playing for, you know, if you switch places with Borea Salming and, and one of those other star defensemen and put him on a better team, you know, maybe his career yeah. numbers look even better than they did. But as, as it is, his career numbers are unbelievable. So I think it's fair to say he's one of the 15 to 20 best defensemen ever in, in NHL history. And the way that he did it being, you know, one of the very first Europeans, the first European to a thousand games, paving the way for more and more Swedish players. And, and and the other thing I was saying to you is you look around the league and the league is like 11, 12% Swedish players now. And that wasn't the case. Like I remember being a kid and watching lots of the NHL and the European players were still kind of a curiosity. There weren't very many of them. And that was right when 
Borea Salmink last season was eighty nine ninety. Like I don't really remember watching him because that's really around the time where I remember watching hockey a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was when the influx started because that was when the, you know the Russian players started coming and everything was right around then. That was McGillney and Bury and those guys all started coming right after that. And and he really started something. So that's the part I did not know. I did not realize how much of a path he he like trailblazed for Europeans. And even just, I mean, stereotypes were silly 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I can't imagine what the stereotypes were of Europeans then, but like he seemed to kind of crush a lot of that stuff as well, right? Well, because the stereotype was that I do remember as a kid that that was that was still around a little bit, but you know, I remember just like my the way like my dad would talk about it and stuff is that people didn't think they could even play in the league and the the players that and I think one of the great things about the presentation if people haven't seen it they should go watch it I believe the Maple Leafs posted it on their their social media accounts yep. you know they got they got they had quotes from like some of the tough players that that he played against and they were talking really about just like how much respect they had for Borea Salming and the way he played and what he had to face and and how he I mean he was he was a, he was a beautiful beautiful player like you watch him the way he moves and the way he skates and his agility and everything but he was tough as hell too I mean there's that famous incident where he got the skate to the face and it just like mangled his whole face and he got stitched up and he was back you know not too far after and for him to play in such a huge market and play the way he did and play against all of some of the toughest players in league history the way that he did it, it changed a lot of people's perceptions yeah so i'm looking at it, james uh 73 there were five swedes in the nhl and i just checked this season there are like 73 yeah it's it's re- really really substantial how many swedish like like they're third behind canadians and americans by quite a bit now, just because of the number of Russians in the NHL has fallen off so much, and Finland isn't isn't there, so Sweden's become a real world power, and from a country that is quite a bit smaller than than Canada. Well, and it was a nice touch, obviously, by Sheldon Keefe to to start the all Swedish lineup, and like just, I mean, that's a small gesture. It doesn't it doesn't cost you anything. Like it's just a nice thing to do, and like you could tell the players were very touched by that themselves that they got to be on the ice like Sandine said he was like glowing um when he found out that all the Swedes were going to be starting like that's just a nice thing it's it's I mean it's good that they have that many Swedes that they could do something like that um well it speaks to the influence of Swedish hockey that Toronto has so many and you know their their scouting staff and there's like a historic connection there like Toronto's scouting staff has been very strong in Sweden for a long long time well and you can tell me if I'm wrong so I was looking at just a second ago at the Swedes that were in the league in the early seventies, the one name that I see, and I, you can tell me if it's the same Tommy Bergman, but it was Tommy Bergman. <laughs> right. And yeah, would it, it be is. the it's, same? It's the same yeah. Tommy Bergman. Okay. Yeah, well, there it's you the go. same. It's the same guy. And he's the guy that, you know, that found Pierre Engvall and, you know, that's still scouting Pontus Holmberg for the Leafs. And, you know, so it's pretty amazing. Do do you have it in front of you? Like, did he he played yeah. for the Leafs, right? Like, yeah. In the yeah. early seventies, he played for Detroit. Let's see where he right. played initially. He was man. He was a big dude, six two, two hundred D. Uh, yeah. He let's see here. Uh, it it his NHL career is just in Detroit. 
Oh, okay. So it, it, it really would be one of us should go over to Sweden and like do a story about just like the Swedish influence on, uh, on the Leafs, I think would be, would be a good story because it's, yeah. I mean, look at, look at Salming started it, but then you got, you know, Matt Sundin and like there's, it's, it's been a really long standing. Even, you know, I, uh, last week, uh, last Thursday, Friday, I played in a, a charity event and, uh, Mikhail Remberg was there. And, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, there's, there's just, there's something special for the Swedish players about the Leafs and that's continued to this day, which is kind of, kind of a neat thread that's still there. Yeah. And you could see it like talking to William Nylander after the game, Engvall, like all of them, like could, you could kind of get a sense. Like, I can't remember who had told me this, but like in Sweden, Salming is just like a god. Like, I like. Well, he's even, like Bobby Orr or something. Yeah, right? exactly, like, exactly. That's the that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. So nice, nice job by the Leafs. Obviously, it's nice to see Salming, and man, you just send your good vibes and all that to to him because well, that's tough. I mean, I was thinking watching it. It's kind of nice, you know. He's still there, so you know you can honor him and yeah. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. Um, let's move on to, to talking about what's going on with the team. Um, so they lose to Pittsburgh, then they come back and beat Vancouver. Uh, lots of interesting stuff in, in those two games. To me, the most interesting thing was that they finally decided to split up Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. You had posted on Twitter, and I think it was the perfect line. Like, it was time. Like, I don't know how much more you could kind of wait to hope that it clicked before you had to do something like that Friday night game. I was walking out of the the building and I just posted one of those briefs uh, in our app that I wonder if this is now the time. Uh, and then it was, and and I think it's, it's something that they're going to have to give some space to. What do you think? Well, I, for whatever reason, it, it hasn't been working and it's been, you know, they gave it 15 games, which is a pretty, big chunk of the season and it hasn't been working they haven't been dominating five on five they haven't been creating the way that they typically do and it's it's really really important for this team's success to have the two 11 million dollar guys going i mean to have all three of them going and yeah. they're, they're just not going to be able to be an elite team without that and you know nylander's played well Tavares has played well we've seen in the past Matthews played with Nylander well. I mean, going back a little ways, but and Tavares play play well with Marner. I don't think it's. I know that I know that Matthews and Marner want to play together, but it's also one of those things. If it's not working and it's it's kind of stale, or other teams are are, are able to shut them down, then you gotta you gotta switch something up. So I don't know if Sheldon Keith talked about that at all about the conversation he had to have with those players, but they had to have known that it it just wasn't working. Well, he had spoken uh, maybe it was a week or 10 days or something before about talking to them about it and wanting to give them an opportunity to, to figure things out and being patient with it. And after the game on Saturday, I asked about it and he, he seemed to kind of just want to brush past it and hint that maybe it was just going to be temporary. And it was just like the thing he did in the middle of that game in Carolina where he changed the lines. I, I, I mean, we'll see at practice today if it sticks. I think it's going to stick for a little bit. I, I did want to ask you though, what do you think happens? Because why why can two players be so unbelievable together? And obviously you added in a third with Michael Bunting who would fit in perfectly with those guys. Like, What do you think happens that it's just 
gone all of a sudden that it looks like they're kind of out of sync. Like, why do you think that happens? Well, even Keith had some sort of comment about like, for whatever reason, it hasn't been working, right? Like, yeah, it's like one of those like, how come a good goalie all of a sudden can't make a save? Or how come a bad goalie all of a sudden is lighting the world on fire? Or yeah, how come, like, I think the line mate chemistry is, it, it, it's like you, you watch them the last three or four months of last season and it's like, wow, like this is like one of the best duos in the league. And then you watch them early on this year and it's like, I don't know. It's like there's something missing there for some reason. Yeah, so I I wonder, the more I've thought about it, if it's a lot of different things. Like, Matthews hasn't looked totally like he did last year. Like, I don't know that we've seen... Like, you know those those sequences where... Why? Like, I I, I don't don't know. know. I mean, I I, I guess, like, you can just... Like, he's human, and I guess you can just feel a little bit off, and maybe you're... I don't know, maybe early on he was putting a lot of pressure on himself, and he's just not been totally sharp like he was last year. And then like you added that Marner has been a little bit off. I don't think he shot the puck enough. Like he's been a little hesitant. His, his play with the puck hasn't been as strong. They haven't forced turnovers like they did last year. Bunting is, has kind of been up and down and obviously Sheldon Keefe has moved that around. So I don't know, like, I guess you combine all those things. It's not like they have easy opponents. Like they're facing the toughest competition every night. So if you're a little bit off, but it's like everything is, is down. Like, I think what's really interesting is how much worse they've been defensively. Like they're, they're Any spending teams a lot. Maybe are like doing a lot of video on them and like have seen their tendencies a bit more or something or. Yeah. I, I think that's possible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought it was interesting just in, in kind of looking, you can tell me what you think of this, if it means anything at all. But I thought it was interesting in just picking through some of the stats that that Matthews is is shooting fewer wrist shots, and I was like, "Ah, oh, that's that's interesting." Like, I wonder if they're crowding him more, and he's he's not able to get that off. And like, that's what I thought was so important in the second half last year is like Marner became just like this threat to score. That suddenly he was like he was scoring at a fifty goal pace in the second half, and it's like, well, if that guy's going to be shooting like that, suddenly inevitably that's going to lead to more space for Matthews. Uh, and and that just hasn't been the case so far. And like, I don't know. Like, it, what's interesting, James, is this exact thing happened last year. There were different reasons behind it. Obviously, Matthews was coming off wrist surgery, but literally, like in I think it was like October twenty fifth, they made the exact same change to the lines that they did over the weekend, and they kept it basically like that for ten games. Then they put Matthews and Marner back together, and gradually they got their games back and. I don't know. I, I, I still think, I still wonder if they're better actually as a team, if they're split up. But like you said, I think they want to play together and you can understand when it's going, why they would want to keep it together, right? Well, if they look amazing like they did in the second half of last year, then there's a good argument for it. But if if not, if they're not able to, to break through, then it's hard to justify putting so many of your, to use a cliche, so many of your eggs in one basket with those guys together. And I don't know, maybe it's just something that's a little bit unknowable why it's not working yeah i'd like to honestly i'm really curious to see how marner kind of responds the next few games if they do keep this like they like keep them apart because i think if he kind of looks at it like you know what i can i can make Tavares better i can make kerfoot better i can be the real engine of that line suddenly they become a more dangerous team because matthews is gonna matthews is gonna be dangerous like you mentioned neonders look good suddenly if if he's like really driving that line, it it creates a lot of problems for opponents. And I I likened it in my story on Monday, actually today while we're recording this, 
to like when David Pasternak ended up getting split up from Marshand and Bergeron, it's like, look at, look at Pasternak's numbers so far this year. Like he's been on fire and he's not playing with those guys anymore. So I don't know. To me, Marner can be the key to kind of unlocking something special. Well, it's going to be hard for the other team to key on one or the other when, and, and the other thing too, is like, maybe you, you see even more from Nylander and Tavares if they're playing with, Yes, exactly. That's the point. Yeah. And maybe you see more from the third guy on those lines as well. And you know, like Bunting hasn't been what he was last year. I mean, that's that's part of it too, right? You know, like obviously he's more of a passenger than those guys, but if something's off with Bunting, then it puts more pressure on Marner and Matthews to do more. And they, they haven't really established who the best third player with Tavares and Nylander is. I know you and I have been skeptical of the Tavares and Nealer combination. They've had good games. They've had bad games. Yeah. Um, we'll see how it goes. I, I still always think back to, remember remember that first season with Tavares playing with Marner? And, they were and, so good, and, right? And, 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 and well, and, and not only that, but there were, t- there were flashes too. When Matthews and Nealander played well together, they, they were really entertaining to watch. Like when yes. they, when yes. they were, when they were tr- trading off, like, passes and 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 i don't know i just wonder if you. i gotta be honest james like i actually this sounds weird but i i find it more entertaining to watch neilander with matthews than marner with matthews i don't know why i've always well it's it's like unpredictable or something right yeah yeah you know what i was gonna say jonas is that i haven't looked super closely at the data or anything but just you know watching uh i've watched most of the games on tv so far this year uh Anecdotally, I would say I think Matthews is just shooting from different locations than he did last year. And I don't know. Obviously, on the power play, there's been a lot of stuff from up up top towards the blue line. Um, and I don't know if that's the way that teams have adjusted to him or that's something that he needs to change. Or, But it just – he talked a little bit about, about the other teams like sitting on him. Kind yeah. Of like- I asked him after the, that game in San Jose because he had scored from up top. And I said, like, does it give you more space? And what he said is – Exactly what you're saying. Teams were sitting on him when he was on one of those flanks. And so if I move around, it becomes Did he harder. The power play or like in general? He meant the power play. But right. what's interesting is, so I thought the same thing about the shooting locations. And yet you look at all like the underlying numbers and everything is basically the same as last year. Like high danger attempts, shot attempts, scoring chances. But I do think really early on this year, he wasn't generating as much around the net and i think that's come on a little bit but i think it's i think you're right i don't think those i don't think the chances and looks have been as clean as they were last year oh it's i'm glad you brought up like the scoring chances and things like that because i was looking at it and like his shooting percentage is what's he at like nine percent or something if you adjust his shooting percentage to around his career average or around what he had last year yeah. He would have he would be on pace basically for like sixty goals. <laughs> yeah, and James, so, it's like it's like four percent at five on five, which is where he right. he scores most of his goals. Like he has two five on five goals, and what I think is nuts, Marner still ha- doesn't have a primary assist on a Matthews five on five goal. Now Matthews has scored only two five on five goals, but Marner has only a single secondary assist on those two goals. So and we don't we don't necessarily have the data. I, I'm sure the Leafs do on. Yeah. This is you what know, like I pass assists have. and yeah, yeah, like if we could like how many scoring chances that Matthews has generated are coming off of first assists from Marner compared to last year, and if like you know, so we're kind of just trying to like. But eye test wise, James, it 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 it, yeah, it looks like right. in, there for sure it's down. There's like right. no doubt about that. 
But even with that, the majority statistically of why Matthews is scoring fewer goals is even strength shooting percentage, which is highly variable. And so like, it's going to come. The question is, you know, when is it going to come and like, to what degree is the tap going to get turned on? But I don't think anyone, like if, if you're making bets with your friends or whatever, like there's no question. Matthews is going to get 50 goals. I don't know if he's going to get 60 or not, but he's going to, he's going to be one of the top few scorers in the league. The, the only question is if the bar that he set for himself last year is yeah is is so high that he can't get back there again just because of the the early season slump. And it's funny for him too, like him being in a slump, he's on pace for forty three goals or whatever, right? Like that's that's a slump for Austin Matthews. That's honestly, James, like so I, I talked to him in Vegas like briefly, and that's what that's what I was really wondering is like when you have a season like that, like how are you supposed to top it? And obviously he said he was focused more about the team and everything like that. But I started to to just talking to him that day, I started to think like, man, like he's just like, he's 25. Like, and he probably feels a lot of pressure to be their best player to produce. And early on when it's does. not, yeah, yeah, right. Like, and, and I, I don't know why that hadn't included into, for me before, but I just started to think like, man, it's, it's easy to see him getting a little tight and, and maybe forcing things. And like, I, I had just kind of considered him, so easygoing and, and not above all that, but like just like that stuff didn't get to him. And yet that day I was like, you know what? Like he is just like, he's just, I don't know, like maybe this is, he had put so much pressure on himself with the expectations from outside and just like the team wanting to do better than they have. So I feel like that has to be a part of this as well for him and for Marner, because obviously they're the two best players on the team. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, uh, let's take a break, and then we should talk about the goaltending. We should talk about the D. Uh, and I want to get into briefly, before we get to the pod bag, uh, some of the new players and how they've managed to fit in. So let's take a break and get into all that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, James, uh, let's talk about the goaltending because that is still an interesting situation that's happening. Eric Schalgren obviously played... Every game last week, he started both ends of the back-to-back. I still don't know what to make of their goaltending. Like, are you at the same point? Like, I, I don't know what to make of anybody they have. I don't know. I don't think that they have enough. Like, I think Shalgren should be their number four. I think they should have a better number three. I still don't know what to make of Murray, obviously. He's made one start. Uh, where are you at with the goaltending? Still, like, just total TBD? Well, Murray's supposed to play this week, right? Like, that's yeah. that's the belief. So... You know, I thought maybe they should have claimed that uh, Magnus Helberg that that Ottawa put on waivers just because here's yeah. a veteran guy who's played a lot in the KHL, has played a little bit in the NHL, would just give you another goalie, and then you can run Shogren and Helberg until Murray's ready, and 
not having that contract, like if you had the extra contract slot, like why not? Like just claim the guy, play him for a week, and then you don't have to play Shawgreen in a back to back, and and just put Helberg back on waivers again when you're done with him, when your goalies come back, or or send Shawgreen down. I mean, full yeah. marks to Shawgreen in in that game against Vancouver. Like you know, second game of back back to back, you're down early, and and he shuts the door late. He had some good saves. You know, I think that he's given you all you could have expected from a goaltender with his, his level of experience. Um, so it's not, I don't think you can criticize what he's done. It's just a question of, I think really what, what is going to matter here, Jonas, is when Murray gets back, is he back, back? Like, is he back for good and how does he play? And Samson, Samsonov is going to be what? Like, they're saying like week to week, so maybe he'll be back early December potentially. And I think that what you want to see is like a sustained run of four to six weeks of the, of Murray, the goalie tandem that you wanted to have coming into the year. You want to see them play a stretch of games together. Yeah. So I think the point uh, you made on Shogun is really important. I don't blame him. Like this is, I don't know. This is kind of who he is. Like he's not, he, he might not be an NHL goaltender. He's doing the best he can. Like you can tell he cares. You can tell he wants to do really well, but like it's a hard league. And well, it's a big adjustment from playing in Europe as well. So it's not even, it's not even like Chagrin's a finished product necessarily. Like a a lot of the goalies that come over, it takes them a few years to adapt and to get ready for NHL shooters. And he's still in that adaptation phase of his career. Yes. So that's an important point because as much as like, you're right, he did, rebound well in that game against Vancouver. He also gave up two goals that weren't great to start that game. The third goal against Pittsburgh, which won them the game was not a good goal that, that cost them points. Like as much as like, it, it feels very minor to be like, well, how, why, why are we talking about the third goalie? That's points. Like you're losing points because you're getting sub 900 goaltending. I mean, you even go back to some of his starts earlier in the year. I don't know. Like it all just matters. And especially with Murray. So let's let's get into Murray. You're right. Like we we kind of need to see A, is he going to be able to stay healthy? And then B, how is he going to perform? Like those two questions still they're still as unanswered as they were, maybe even more so from the summer. Like and then Samsonov, you, you mentioned he he's I mean, he performed pretty well, but he's still a big wild wild card as well. Like I still Man, well, their goaltending is injury with goalies is always a question mark. You know, it's sometimes like, is it does it take him time to get back to where he was at the beginning of the season? How much yeah. time does it take, etc. So, having two goalies in that situation, it's a little bit of uncertainty. And you know, like I said, you you're going to want to see four to six weeks of of Murray and then of Samsonov to start to feel like, okay, this is what we have in these guys because we haven't had that all year, obviously. Yeah, and I guess you could get into a situation, James, where like you're like it's like January, and you're like maybe we need to actually get someone who might be better than one of these guys. And anyway, that's a that's that's a conversation. We just need to see what Murray can do and whether he can stay healthy. It's going to um, be a conversation all year. Yeah, even up until is the it, end of the year. You're right. Is it is it? Do they need to add a goaltender? Do they need to add a defenseman? Do they need to potentially add a forward? That's that's something that's going to be, I think, in the background of this team. You know, the trade deadline's March 3rd, I believe. It's so, there's going to be three and a half months of this. So, the defense um, is in an interesting place. Uh, Obviously, Jordy Ben comes in for TJ Brody over the weekend. Brody was hurt from the Pittsburgh game. He almost played, like he took the warm-up and then obviously decided that he couldn't go. 
So we'll see what his situation is. But but midway through that game or after the first period, they move Ben up to play with Riley. They drop Lilligren to play with Sandine and, and Giordano spends the night with Justin Hall. Um, where are you at with their their two young D, Sandine and Lilligren? Uh, do you think it's best at this point for them both to be on the third pair or do you think that's asking too much of Giordano? Like what what do you think their best mix is? I like I like the idea of using them situate situationally. Like they had Giordano out there late at the game closing things out, and I think that that makes sense. But I've seen enough from Lilgren that I think that in certain situations he can, he can be playing in the top four. You got to keep in mind too that he's coming off surgery. He missed training camp. He missed the beginning of the season. Yep. Factoring all that in, I think he's been he's been pretty solid. So, and Sandine at this point is a third pair guy for me. So, I think that's all fair. I'm not sure I'm there yet with Lilgren. Which well, how, is, many, what, how many games has he played? Four or five? Yeah, like well, that's the thing. He's kind of, and, he, and he missed all of camp. He didn't have any preseason. Like I, I, I think we obviously need to give him some time. Um, but like the the one guy who who kind of gets forgotten continually, continually, continually is Jake Muzzin. Like we we think it's unlikely that he comes back, and that's a position like that we talked about this last week that they're going to have to address. I, I kind of he's coming back, Jonas. I mean, we've talked about that before, but I I feel pretty yeah sure in saying too. that he's not going to be back and. I, I don't know. I'm not saying he's retiring for sure, but I think this season is, I mean, his career is really a question for sure. So the Leafs need to, again, like the goalies, like this period here between now and let's say January, mid-January, it's a time for the Leafs to evaluate what they have on defense and decide if they need more and, and where exactly they need more and who needs to be moved down the lineup. Yeah, and so that's that's where those two defensemen are really interesting because if you think those guys can handle more, remember it, w- it was kind of like the same sort of thing last year, except those guys were obviously younger in their careers. But it's like if if Lilligren can play in your top four, maybe that changes your need a bit. Like I I prefer right now, James, if they went with Riley Brody, Giordano Hall, Sandy, and Lilligren. Mm. Um, but. I can understand why you would say, you know what, let's let's see what let's give Lilligren like a twenty five game run playing with Riley and see but see if that Jordy, could be an answer. You yeah. Jordy Ben out of the lineup. You mean Jordy Orr, Jordy Lidstrom, Jordy Carlson? <laughs> but there was a some I can't remember who said it on the broadcast, but someone said he looks like Jamie Ben tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Ben's been on quite a heater for Dallas. Yeah. Um yeah, so I think see. that's interesting. Look at it's another BC boy on this team. It's I love it. It's they just like they keep drafting guys like Fraser Minton and how many guys are from Vancouver and Victoria on this Leafs team? It's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, your boys. Um, so before we get to the pod back, I do want to talk a, a little bit about some of the new Leafs, and I kind of really just want to talk about Callie Arncroft. It's been like a I don't know if a weird start is is the right way to put it, but. It doesn't feel like he's he's really found a place yet. He's he's kind of on that fourth line, which is like kind of like misfit toys. Like they haven't kind of figured out what to do with that line. They haven't figured out what to do with him. Are you are you surprised that that we kind of haven't figured out where he belongs? Like I thought he would spend at least a little bit of time with Tavares. He I think he had the one game. Um, well, wasn't he the guy that you kind of called like a Swiss Army knife? Or yeah, coming into the, coming into the year, and he yeah. hasn't like the the. I think the perception was he'd be able to fit in anywhere. He could play any position. 
could play him on the power play, could play him on the penalty kill, but it hasn't looked like, like he hasn't really, instead of fitting in anywhere, he hasn't really, he hasn't, he hasn't fit in, you know, no matter where he's played. And I, I like the play that he made, you know, he was on with Bunting and Engvall on the goal that Engvall gets, like a lot of the dirty work there was Yarncrock and that's what they need from him. They need him in the corners. They need him in front of the net. They need him just like battling and banging away and creating some ugliness. The Leafs don't have a lot of guys up front that do that. So if he can be one of them, I just, I, I watched that. That was against Vancouver, right? Like that was the, that was the, yeah. I'm getting my, there's been so many games. Um, that, that was a pivotal goal. And that line hasn't provided the Leafs with hardly any important goals. And Yarncroft was such a big catalyst for it that, I just remember seeing that go in. It was like, yeah, that's what they need from from him, and that's what they need from this line. If Bunting's not playing with the big guys, that's what he's got to do as well. It's just cause some shit in the crease, and so maybe maybe the light turns on a little bit with that goal, where the coaching staff says to them, like, "Go do that again." Yeah, it's and it, you know what? It's a, an important point with Yarncroft because if you're not really watching closely, you might be like, "What? Like, what is this? This guy just looks pretty fast, like." But he makes a lot of like little subtle plays like that. He's on pace right now for like 15 goals, 20 some odd points. His ice time is down. I don't know. Like well, it's, the underlying numbers for him a bit are right? awful. Like, They're awful. Yeah. Yeah. Like the puck possession and expected goals and whatever. And that to me is concerning given he's, he's, is he 31? He's got a four year deal. Yes. They dedicated, they dedicated 2.1 million, like a lot of their excess cap space to, to him to being an answer in their top nine forwards. And, just hasn't hasn't been there yeah so right now he is at 41 percent in the expected goals department which is the lowest on the team for players who are still here nicholas abe kubel was worse um he's been buried a lot like he's not getting a lot of offensive zone face-offs which isn't surprising but like you mentioned like that was a long commitment and i don't know like it's that's why it's it's hard like when they signed it, I was like, "Yeah, you know what? It's two point one million. It's four years, but like, eh, it's not that much." He's always going to be at least someone you can play in your lineup. But it, like you said, he's thirty one, and like if if he's, I don't know, if he, if he's going to decline and not be driving play positively, it's a bit of a problem. But oh, it's, it's early. a problem. It's a problem, Jonas. Like they they just need they need more from their those lines. You know the for whatever reason the the camp line with Aston Reese and Malgan has found an identity and looks good. Now they need that other line to to do that as well. Can you imagine, James, if I had told you, so it's we're recording this is November 14. If I had told you in October, you know what, James, their best line through the first month of the season is going to be Aston Reese, Camp, and Malgan. You would have been well, like, I, fuck off. No way. When when they when they put that line together, it was kind of like what Here's the hell? who's left or something. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, here, here's some guys and and for whatever. And that's the thing with, you know, we were talking about chemistry earlier with Matthews and Marner. Sometimes it's sometimes it's not what you, it doesn't come from where you expect. And yeah, that's why you change things around to try and get some people with different looks with different guys and see if it works. Well, and, and to finish off on the new Leafs, Aston Reese has, has really come on and obviously Malgan's really come on. Malgan is the expected goals king of, of this team. Yeah, so, and good for him. Just as I predicted. <laughs> All right, uh, let's take a break and then let's get into the pod bag. 
I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, James, it is pod bag time. Reminder to eat local, support your local businesses, take a walk on the Danforth. There's lots of great spots along there. I know you live in the East End. You love the Danforth, as I do. The Danny? Yeah. There wasn't a, a taste of the Danforth this year again, right? They, they canceled it? I, I think they did. do not recall. I know yeah. Jazz Fest was still a thing, so. Did you go? I did not go. No, I don't. I don't. I don't do that much, Jonas. I don't get out that much. It's uh, the podcast with you and take care of my kids and drive them to their various activities, and that's that's enough for me. Party, party on! <laughs> You'll be there one day. Uh, we have a question from James C. So, fellow James says, "Is a reluctance to split up Matthews and Marner a coaching decision?" Or is it about catering to their preferences? It seems like Marner, Tavares, and Matthews Nylander have always worked well together. Um, he said, I'd love to see an article comparing the, the stats on this to see if that's true. Um, they give t- the team potentially two dominant lines rather than just loading up one super line, especially when it hasn't been super. So what do you think? Like, I think it's a bit of a... Uh, the players want to play together and the, the coach knows how good it looked last year. So I think it's a little bit of both is the right answer to that. Yeah, I think that's right. I I think it feels like Marner really likes playing with Matthews and understandably they fit so well together. Um, And the connection with Tavares for whatever reason, since that year you mentioned before, I don't know, like it just hasn't been there as much. Uh, Even last year when they got together, I'm although I will say, and I think you brought this up on a podcast at one point, those games when Matthews didn't play, and it was bunting Tavares Marner, I think. Yeah, Tavares I would try that. Really good. I would go back to that because you got to get bunting going as well, and it just doesn't seem to be. So I don't. So maybe do you go Kerfoot Matthews Nylander? I I don't know. But well, but so what you're kind of doing is you're at least keeping one of the combination the combos that you have intact. Like Bunting and Matthews have obviously spent tons of time together the last couple of years. So at least that dynamic is still there. And then you're adding Neilander, who's obviously spent time. Like those six players 
are basically all just kind of moving around right now. Like they're just right. cycling them in. But yeah, I, what, I think for what sure. What about the Yarncroc up there with Matthews and Nylander? Well, that was something I thought about. Like, Tell him to go to the net. Yeah, and we obviously saw that briefly in the preseason. I just don't think he offers enough playmaking to, to be there, honestly. Like I don't think he's... Yeah, that's that's kind of... But, but to answer the question, I definitely think the coach factors that in. Like those conversations happen, like who likes to play with who. And clearly, like he had had... Sheldon Keith talked about this. Like he had conversations with Matthews and Marner about wanting to let them kind of breathe and, and figure this out. Like I mentioned before, at some point, like you can't, you can't wait forever. It just like their five on five play has been um, just not as dynamic and fast as, as we've seen in the past offensively, at least. Yeah. But you know, you know, one guy who I liked that played with Matthews last year a little bit was Kasha. I thought he just yeah. was really kind of deferential to Matthews and just looked for him all the time and found him in good spots. And they didn't play together that much, but that's kind of what you're looking for. Well, to that point, James, they 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 missed Kasha and Mikheyev, honestly. Like I know they didn't have Kasha the whole year, but those guys brought something that they just do not have right now. And I know like we talk about Malgan and Aston Reese and like that's fine, but they just missed that thread of speed and like goal scoring that those guys brought. And like Kasha was man, like it's it sucks what's happened to his career. Like he's hurt again, concussion again, but they missed those guys. Like you see Mikheyev he got the big contract, obviously, but now it's like, oh, great. Now you're playing on Vancouver's top line and Vancouver's in such a brutal position. But hey, I mean, that's sports. Yeah, I'm always surprised guys like focus more on the, the dollar number than the destination. I, I mean, I guess. Why maybe, are you surprised? Well, <laughs> that's humans. I, I, I guess, but I, I just feel like if it was me, that like a winning environment, and I think sometimes the players just don't know, and they're like, oh yeah, Vancouver's okay, they got a goalie, and like if I go there, they're going to be better. And but there's yeah. so many, so many times you get that one opportunity as a UFA to pick where you go, and you take an extra two million dollars over the course of the contract to go somewhere where you're just not going to have an opportunity to win, and it's like, are you going to be, are you going to be happy there? Yeah, it's a good question. Taylor wants to know, he says, Jonas suspected there might be a deeper reason why the Leafs moved on from Abe Kubel so quickly. Any word on what that might be, if anything? I, I mean, I haven't heard anything. I just, maybe he just was really, they could just tell that it just really wasn't working. Yeah, so I'm very puzzled by that whole thing. I still haven't gotten... Uh, you weren't uh, saying you had like heard something or you were just saying like, it feels like there had to be something more going on. Yes, here. because like, I mean, just go through what happened. I, I forgot this, James, like, not only did they sign him the first day, they signed him 20 minutes into free agency. Like clearly they had like circled him and said, this is a guy we want to get. And then he plays six games and it's like, yeah, we're, we're not about him. I just, and nothing that I've heard from Sheldon Keefe explains it. Like Keefe said, they, they had wanted him to fit with uh, Aston Reese and, and Camp and like that, the numbers for that were just awful. But that's not enough of a reason to, cut a guy after six games who you signed 20 minutes or 25 minutes into free agency. Like I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I still thought that there was potential for him to kind of figure things out. He, he really didn't look comfortable yet, which is understandable. You're coming to a new team. You don't know anyone. I well, would have liked to have seen run into him. injuries. Now all of a sudden it's like Clifford or Simmons or the, you know, options that or you've Joey seen Anderson. before. Right. 
I mean, Joe Anderson's played really well with the Marlies. For the Marlies sure. are hot, eh? Like the Marlies are like nine, they're two, a and one. Conqueror, yeah, they're on yeah. fire. Yeah, they. So you know, it's interesting because it's not like they have like the best prospects or whatever, but they're just they're getting a lot out of you know, and they they've obviously they don't have their starting goalie because he's with the Leafs, and but they they've been playing really well. So that's that's one positive that we didn't necessarily see coming. Yeah. Pony Boy wants to know if you each had to choose an NHL team to cover other than the Leafs, which would it be and why? I'll let you go first. Uh, I told you this in the summer because I was in LA, the Kings, just so I could live in Manhattan Beach or try to. It's pretty expensive well, you there. Have, you have you have family reasons there and everything too, right? So Yeah. So I'll take LA or Anaheim. Actually, no, let's just go with LA. What about you? Well, I mean, for me, if it was family reasons, I would pick Vancouver or Seattle to be close to home. I mean, Vancouver is the team that, when I was growing up, was my dad's team. And there were we used to go to some playoff games, and you know, I would cheer for them off and on when they were good, bandwagon fan. And so there would be something personal for me to – I have a lot of family and friends that are in, in BC all over the place. So being there would be cool. For location, I think I would – I think LA would be great. It's one of my favorite stops to go to. Um, I'm trying to think of anywhere else. Do you know what is interesting though? Like James, as you think about that, is it's it's very inside media. The way teams are covered market to market is very, 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 very different. Well, the fan bases are very different. Yes, that's the thing too. So yeah, like some of the stuff. I, I mean, I see that. I, I work with a lot of our writers, and we talk about the kind of coverage that we're looking for, and the way that you cover you know, a team in uh, a smaller or, or like a newer or a Southern market in the U S is a little bit different. Like some of the stuff we do covering the Leafs, like the really inside baseball looking at zone starts and yeah. expected goals. And like some of that stuff doesn't resonate in every market. So um, you would, you would definitely have to adapt, you know, and it, if you look at the athletic over the last like 18 months, like we've moved people around, like we've had Kevin Kerr's go from covering the sharks to covering the Islanders. And we've, Corey Massasak went from covering the Devils to covering the Sharks. And, you know, so we've, we've been seeing, like, you take a different kind of writer and put them in a different market, and you got to be able to adapt a little bit and, and write for your audience. It's, so it's kind of interesting that, that every market and every fan base, different things resonate. Yeah. Who, who would you pick if not L.A.? I mean, Montreal Probably would be cool. I Montreal, I, yeah, I, 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 I feel in, like it's I was like, in the running for a job at, in Montreal at one point early in my career that I didn't get, that I was disappointed, and the language barrier would have been tough. Yeah, but that would be tough. I love Montreal. It's, a, it's a cool city. Yeah, but it's a bit of a circus around the team, more so even than Toronto. I might, like. I would say maybe the Rangers, just because yeah. like MSG, Manhattan, all that stuff, passionate yeah, fan base. The, the building's awesome. Yeah. 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 Uh, we got another question from James, but I'm just reading the ones that, that got upvoted the most. He says, is Sandine a redundant piece on the blue line, given they're committed to Morgan Riley for eight years? Uh, I don't know if his physical tools will That's... be enough for him to be a, a top four defenseman. Uh, contrary to Lilligren, who I think has a little bit more potential, uh, would it make sense to offer Sandine in a package for someone more like Buzzin? Um, Rather than wait until, ra- ra- rather than wait until later, Sandine's young enough that he has some value as a, as a. I, I hear this actually from other teams and observers. I've written this multiple times, James. I started wondering this right when they signed Riley to that contract. What do you think about it? Because I actually do think it's like a roster construction, big picture question that I don't, I don't know if he fits. I don't know. 
Well, I think the identity of the Leafs blue line is an interesting question now that, like, let's say Muzzin doesn't come back, Brody's getting older, Giordano's getting older, like, what, you know, if you look around the league, it's kind of, you know, speeds become a thing on the back end, but also, you know, size has become more in vogue. Like, I was watching them, Yep, they're playing Vegas, and it's like, I was texting back and forth with my dad. We were both watching the Leafs in Vegas game. And and he's like, why is Vegas? He's like, why is Vegas so good? And I was like, well, there's like a number of reasons like Jack Eichel and, you know, the, the rookie goal. He's playing really well. But also, like, look at their blue line. Like, they it's got, like, fucking monstrous. They're, they're, they're big and they take up a lot of ice and they can skate. And like, I think the smallest guy on Vegas's blue line, correct me if I'm wrong, is Shea Theodore, who's like 6'2", 210. Like, okay, I just pulled it up, James. You're right. So... These are their D. Uh, 6'6", 230, 6'3", 201, 6'1", 210, 6'4", 215, 6'3", 215, 6'2", 200, 6'2", 207. Those are their D. So, Monsters. And that's, you know, like Tampa's size on the back end. St. Louis did when when they won. Washington's got a pretty big blue line when they won. Like, I, I think you can... You know, like the Kale McCars and whatever, and, and Sam Gerrard in Colorado, that's like one mode of defenseman but I remember I did a, a story one time about small defensemen succeeding and I remember going into the Colorado dressing room and talking to the other defensemen about Sam Gerrard and they were like he's amazing but one thing they pointed out they had at the time they had Zadorov there they had some different guys and one of the things that the avalanche said is that it it's good to have a mix it's good to have like different kinds of of defensemen so maybe you can construct a, a really great blue line around uh Riley and and Lilgren. Um but can you do it with Riley, Lilgren and Sandine or are you just having too many elements that are somewhat similar? I think the problem, James, is like if you're gonna construct a top four with Riley and Sandine, they're gonna be presumably playing on different pairs. And that presents a problem because either you're using the Riley pair against really good competition or you're using the Sandine pair against really good competition. And it's like, it's not really perfectly suited for either of them. And if you're picking one, it's obviously Riley, but well, Riley, I mean, we should, we haven't talked about it a lot on the show, but like Riley's not had a very good start to the season. Like we've spent all this time talking about getting Matthews and Marner going and, yeah, you know, Riley is not, I mean, a lot's being asked of him with Muzzin out and with what's, who's been available on the blue line, but He's got that big contract. He's such a key part of the team. And just like defending the blue line and defending in zone, it just really hasn't been there for him. Yeah, that's well. And so now if that's, and he's like, he's almost 30. He's getting up there. Like, I think he's, is he 28 right now? I think he's 28. Um, but so you just wonder like, how are, how is your team going to function if those guys are both in the top four? I, I don't know. And like, and like Muzzin is a really big piece like that. He played such a unique role for them. And obviously you and I wondered about keeping him and like the risks with age and injuries and everything like that. But like he filled such a specific need. And you could see it in that series against Tampa where him and Brody are, are taking on the Tampa top line. And like that allows Riley to to not have to do that. And yeah, it's a, it's a big picture question. I don't know the answer to it, It's going to depend also on how Sandine develops. I mean, Brody's not that big, and he's obviously an excellent defender. They're basically mm-hmm. the same size. Mm-hmm. I think in a perfect world, the front office would love to have. I mean, they they wanted to bring Labushkin back. He just got too much money from from Buffalo. Like it was, he ended up getting you know term and two point seven five million a year, and that was more than what the Leafs wanted to spend. So 
you know, it's going to be a priority if, if Muzzin doesn't come back both this season and I think the offseason next year to to find another defenseman like that. But James, you know what? To that point, it, we could see a situation just like last year where the playoffs come around and one of those guys is not playing. And obviously last year, both of those guys ended up not playing for most of that series. I, I wouldn't be like shocked if we got to the playoffs and one of Sandine or Lilligren wasn't in the lineup every night, which is like well, weird to say have, because they're such important pieces, but like I could see that happening based on what they have. Well, and then to the question that we got is like, should you move on from one of them? And Sandine's more just, I think, being a left shot and just what he's shown so far this year would probably make more sense. Yeah. The thing you don't want to, you don't want to, hold on to Sandine and hold on to him and hold on to him. And then he just ends up being like a 14 minute a night guy. Yeah. Cause you can, you can find those for not a lot of money relatively easily every year. Yeah. I mean, it's worked well with him and Giordano, but that's on the third pair. Let's do, uh, let's do two more. Uh, Brett asks, when will this fan base stop overreacting after a narrow loss with our fourth string goalie? <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> the answer. The answer is never. And we're we're trying not to overreact on 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 the show. And I, I think it's fair to say, even though the Leafs, their record is relatively good uh, after the win on Saturday. I think they were tied for third in the East in points. Their points percentage is, has come a long way with the four one and two record over the last seven games. But they've just looked a little bit underwhelming. So I don't think it's overreacting to say that they can be better. But, um, but you know, they, 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 there's obviously, with the team that we saw last year during the regular season, I think that we need to keep in context that this is still, this team still has a lot of potential. I mean, James, like, I think they're tied for 10th in points percentage. They've not been as good as last year. I mean, what the yeah. expectations are high. They've earned high expectations. They had 115 points last year, and they've, they've been kind of underwhelming so far. I don't know, like... Yeah, I guess some of like the overreacting is like they should fire the coach and like there like there were some articles written that were like Dubis can't build a good hockey team or what you know what I mean like yeah which like there was overreacting that happened in the fan base and the media and fair pe- people people wait for those those losing skids of a few games and all of a sudden is you know the the coach is the problem the GM's the problem the the Core four is the problem, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, let's do one more. Uh, Griffin wants to know, he says, uh, recently you wrote, he, he's, he means me, recently you wrote about how a trade might be imminent. Do you still feel that way? If so, who is most likely to be moved out? Now, I think in, if, if you read that piece, it's not saying that the trade's going to happen soon. The argument I was making was that instead of, if you need to make a move with the team struggling, I think the move to make is a trade not to fire the coach. That was my read on where they were at. What was that? 10 days ago <laughs> when, <laughs> when everyone was trying to blow everything up. I think that there's going to be, I think the Leafs are going to make multiple trades of somewhat significant trades this season. And if they're winning games the way they are right now with, with the, the run that they're on right now, there's no pressure for them to do it right away. There's no pressure for them to make like the thing you don't want to do is lose a trade just, just to shake things up. And if you're winning some games and you're getting some better performances and you're getting some guys back from injury, then, 
then it doesn't need to be imminent. So the trade that I wrote about could happen in end of January. It could happen in February. I think it's going to happen at some point, but when it happens is going to depend on how the team's playing. A hundred percent. And and like James, like they've they played pretty well without Jake Muzzin. They need a Jake Muzzin or they need Jake Muzzin. Like that's not going to change. Like their defense could be awesome. And I, you'd still look at it and be like, they need to add a better defenseman than what they have. Clearly. <laughs> You're right. One question that we don't, one question that James B asks, he just says, is this team any good? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, T- TBD, TBD. You know, it's interesting that how similar the roster is to last year and how s- a lot of games early on this year hasn't looked like the team last year in the well, regular season. When their best players haven't been elite. Yeah, it's not or even whatever. just the best players too, though. It's, you know, like. But it is. Like, like Yarn, you mentioned Yarn Crocs. Yeah, and like, the new guys haven't know, been. They've had perfect. injuries on defense. They've had injuries in goal. The yeah. the additions they made haven't worked out the way that they were hoping they would. Um, well, what do you so, think the best addition has been so far? I guess Samsonov and then maybe like Malgin and Aston Reese. Yeah, if Malgin's your, one of your best additions, then you did not have the offseason of your dreams. Yeah. All right, James. So I'm looking at the schedule. They play Pittsburgh, and then they play the Red Hot Devils. And Saturday against the Sabres. So we will reconnect next week of the Islanders after that on the Monday, I believe. And then a road trip. Fun. Sounds groovy. Groovy. That's, that's wow. Digging into the past for that word. All right, James. This has been fun. Thank you to everybody for listening and supporting the show. As always, we will chat next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.